0: and welcome to the Rockefeller Center's podcast, Rocky Talk. My name is Sydney Toll, and I'm a 22 here at Dartmouth. Today, I'm joined by Professor Ronald Schaiko, a senior fellow and the associate director for curricular and research programs at the Rockefeller Center. Professor Shaiko thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Yesterday, you gave a lecture entitled, Who is Responsible for Responsible Citizenship? I was hoping you could give us a brief brief synopsis to our listeners and maybe a little bit about how you became passionate about this particular subject.
1: Sure. Um, What I talked about yesterday was basically my model of learning that I use in my classes that I teach here at Dartmouth. I teach three classes a year on on a regular basis. uh, And I look at them as sort of a complementary set of courses that hopefully in the end, bring students to a point where they are uh, responsible citizens or responsible leaders, if if you will. Uh, The three-course sequence begins with Policy 5, which is an introductory course to public policy. I think of that as my civic literacy class. Then I teach a course called Introduction to Public Policy Research, and I think of that class as my civic skills class. And then finally, I teach a course on leadership and civil society, and I refer to that as my civic responsibility class. So in those three classes, I try to first bring students up to speed, sort of you know, the, you know, covering the knowledge gap with students may have. Uh, in the second course, I give them a set of tools that they can use to be better policy analysts and better able to interact in the policy domain. And then finally in the third class, literally in, place them into the policy process. In this case, in, a, in sort of the philanthropic process where in, in last year's class last spring, uh, the students uh, were responsible for giving out $40,000 to Upper Valley nonprofits. So they were to write the call for proposals, they were to just create a, an evaluation rubric, analyze all of the proposals, and eventually award the grants to the Upper Valley nonprofits. So that's basically what I went through yesterday um, and, and sort of grounded that in the notion that that places like Dartmouth declare in their mission statements that they are producing the next generation of responsible leaders or active citizens or various things. And I'm much more intentional, I think, than most in taking that mission statement seriously.
0: And going off of that, why do you think that there is a gap between the mission statements and the actual practice of the institutions? Do you think that it stems from a lack of awareness or just a lack of care? Well,
1: I think it's the the problem is it's hard to get to where they would like to be. To produce responsible leaders, um, that value proposition is much more difficult than simply disseminating knowledge. And the argument I made yesterday is that the bulk of higher education today is in the knowledge dissemination business, rather than in making students what I call practically wiser, or using the term practical wisdom or phronesis. Taking someone to be uh, bringing a student to the point where they're knowledgeable is one thing, making them wiser is a different value proposition. And that involves two things that a lot of classes don't really do very well. And that's one provide experience. And, and second of all, and as importantly, reflection on those experiences. And so in my classes, I try to develop that or present that as a major part of what those classes are about. Um, It's hard to do that. And so I think that's part of the difficulty that professors um, uh, have a tough time thinking about how the how the what the experiential piece of their class may be. I think in the social sciences we have it a bit easier in that we should be thinking about the applied world, the real world, when we're presenting uh, information to our students. Um, so I, I think I'm sort of uniquely situated where I'm teaching public policy classes, which sort of an amalgamation of all the social sciences, I can draw on a lot of different things to make my points, Uh, whereas a, a classics professor might have a more difficult time doing that or a biology professor. So I think that's part of it.
0: Do you think then that it's more the responsibility of the individual professor to, you know, take a stand and start implementing these practices in the classroom
1: well, I think it's incumbent upon the college the university as a whole, Dartmouth as a whole to think about what they mean when they create a mission statement. Or look at our look at the capital campaign that's going on right now. It's called Call to Lead. And in that capital campaign, there are little tags on various programs that say wise leaders. Now, um, that's that's an interesting way of presenting a camp, capital campaign. But uh, w- what will that mean in the end to, for the students and the faculty here at Dartmouth? How will it change what we do with that infusion of three $3 billion that the campaign is attempting to raise? I, I'm waiting to see what that will look like. But I'm already doing what I think that should look like. And it's it, the question is, is this model that I use replicable across disciplines or across professors? And I think it is.
0: And then you talk a lot about, you know, the role of your own teaching style. But Mm -hmm. what do you see particularly as the student's role in becoming a responsible citizen? And what can we do to maximize our learning potential and our learning experience?
1: Right. Well, it's interesting because I have a lot of different teaching styles. In in the introduction introduction to public policy class, I'm basically, it's a lecture format. Uh, i am i am delivering information to students that, because again it's a civic literacy class um, and so that's a different context i still in terms of the work products that i ask the students to produce for me they're qualitatively different than they get in their other classes for instance they're writing they're writing what i call a one pager i put them in the position where they imagine themselves to be a lobbyist trying to influence a member of congress and i'd say you better be able to say on two sides of one piece of paper all you need to say or you've said too much. So that exercise is, be, is in, an exercise in brevity. Can they make a policy statement in a short period of time and make their point to the policymaker about what they have to say? Another a- a- example of that is the final writing assignment in that class is to either write a policy memo to the president so they have to put themselves in a position that they they hold an office in the, in the White House or in the executive branch that would warrant them writing a memo to the president on a particular piece of uh, action that the president may or may not be taking. They can write an amicus brief to a Supreme Court case. Now, again, none of them is a lawyer in the class, but they can, also, they can certainly argue, argue both sides of a particular case before the Supreme Court. And then the final is actually writing a public comment to propose rule by an executive agency or department, and that that I actually grade online because they have to actually post that on the federal government website, <clears throat> and I have to find it in those postings. So there, that's an actual real-world example of writing a public comment on something before a particular legislative uh, or executive agency. So again, the, the work product itself is different, even though it's a big lecture class. Then once I get into 45 and 51, they're much more seminar project-based classes where I'm just sort of a mentor. I, I'm, you know, yes, I'm providing information, but I'm I'm there more as a guide for them to do their research. That class end up ends up uh, having students work in our policy research shop, and in that context, they go and testify before the legislative committees in Vermont and New Hampshire. Now, I drive them to Concord and Montpelier, but they're the ones that are sworn in, not me. It's their work product that's being judged by the legislature, not mine. So that's a very different context. And that's, again, giving them the responsibility and the ownership of a work product where it's, it's theirs. I've graded it. I've made sure it's, it meets the standards of the Rockefeller Center before it gets out the door. But in the end, it's their work, not mine. And I think that's unique as well. But again, I think all of these can be adapted and adopted by other professors.
0: You mentioned that a lot of your teaching style comes from the promotion of imaginative thinking and promoting like just imagination in general. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering how you see that changing as we increasingly adapt to a digital age. And do you see this posing more of a challenge as we are, you know, especially now in such a virtual time?
1: it certainly does um, um i in some ways it's fortuitous that i'm i'm actually on on leave this term that i'm not teaching online uh but i certainly have two two groups or a number of policy research jobs group that i have zoom meetings with on a weekly basis and actually they seem to be working out quite well and and but this this point of of, of engaging students <clears throat> excuse me in the way that i do it is hard, it will be harder to do online. I, I, I really, I'm sort of shuddering at the, the thought that I would be teaching policy five online next winter. Uh, let's hope that it doesn't reach that point. But but um, I, it's doable. It'll be just a lot more difficult to do because a lot of it is very much reading the students and interacting with them as they present. And the little cells on the Zoom screen don't quite make it. So I, I think it's, it's problematic. And I, I'm, I'm, hopeful that this is not an enduring part of, of higher education at Dartmouth College.
0: Yeah, I agree. And when your students come out of your course, are there noticeable differences that you can like see observable differences? Um, you know, do they seem more responsible? Do they seem more receptive to the lessons that you're trying to well, improve?
1: A good question. I mean, I, I, I've sort of make it clear to them that I am challenging them to be their better selves outside the classroom, and they know full well that I will call them out if, if any of the nonsense that goes on on this campus is attributable to a student that I've had in my class, they can very well bet that they're going to be hearing from me when that occurs. To date, that's not happened, even though there's a lot of nonsense that's taken place on campus in the 19 years that I've been here. Thankfully, none of the students involved in those those incidents um, were students of mine. So I hope that in that sense, there is some some carryover that, that they are doing it. Where I see it clearly, for example, there are the two groups that I'm working with that have just started policy research shop projects this term. Now all six of the students, two groups of three, all six of the students are veterans of policy research shop projects. They've all done at least one. Not one of the three in each of the groups knows each other, but they know the process and the, their ability to join forces and to take on a research project and handle it in a way that demonstrates their experience and their reflection and the learning that they've had will make that project so much more efe- efficient and effective in delivering and implementing the, the design that they've created. That, to me, shows that there is a value added to the way that I'm doing it. but. I I feel, again, as I said yesterday in the lecture, um, the last lecture I give in Policy 5 is a challenge to the students, and the challenge goes like this. If by the age of 40, you are not serving on a nonprofit board or running your children's Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or Boys Club or Girls Club, or you're not serving on city council or on the zoning board, and you come back to the 20th reunion and find me, I'm going to be very unhappy. So I expect that of Dartmouth students. I expect them to go out and be part of, the, of, of an active citizenry and in fact, being responsible leaders. So I make that challenge overt. I give them to, give that information to them as first year students here at Dartmouth and I expect them to take it with, with them when they graduate. And I, I thrill, I'm I always thrilled when I get that email from that student that I haven't you know, come across since 2009 when they graduated. And I get a short email saying, I'm on a nonprofit board. That's that's all I need to hear. You know, that they, they remember all the way back to when they were in class, probably in 2006, where I said, I expect this of you. And here, you know, decade later or so, more than a decade later, they're sending me that, that brief little note saying, yeah, I remembered. That's when I know it's working.
0: And then you mentioned as well, there are a variety of skills that you like to kind of implement into your teaching style, like team building, empathy, trust, et cetera. Do you mm-hmm. see any one of these skills as being more important than the other, or are they all a mutually, you know? Yeah, kind of they're all
1: reinforcing, but I, I, I mean, there are two things that are they're gained by doing project-based or team-based research and work in classes. That that other than being academics, I mean, we're really the only lone wolves left in in. in in American society, where we can pretty much do our own thing and no one gets in our way, everyone else is going to be working in teams. Now, again, part of the exercise of teamwork is you may not like it, you know, that you're destined to be in a cubicle someplace doing your job 40 hours a week and no one's bothering you. But you've learned that by doing teamwork and finding out that that's not your thing. That's as much of a learning experience as saying, you know what, I thrive in this. I thrive in doing work with others. So the idea that it's externally looking, that is, I'm not the client when students write, write papers for me. It's always going to be an external person. It's going to be a legislative committee. It's going to be a statewide commission. And how can you communicate or convey ideas to that audience rather than to an academic audience? It's strange to me that, that even in our Writing Five classes, we teach them how to write like academics write. Well, academics write in a very... And, you know, it's a rare occasion where an academic writes really well and can capture an audience of hundreds of thousands of people in, in the books that they write. Um, we ought to be training our students to write in the real world. That is, you know, how to write concisely. You know, the notion that professors say, oh, I want a 25-page paper. If a student hands me a 25-page paper, it's coming back to them unread because it's too long because policymakers won't read 25-page papers. That's the idea. Of how are we preparing them to actually do jobs, to go out in the world and make a living? Now, hopefully some of them gravitate toward the public sector and do work in government and provide that basis of leadership in government. But I don't hold that account, I I don't hold that as the as what all students should do. I know the realities of Dartmouth College and graduating from here, the, the number of doors that fly open for Dartmouth grads are dramatic and huge. So I vocationally, yes, we'd like to have students go into public service, sure. But I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna condemn a student that goes to work in consulting or goes to work for a hedge fund. That's an option that they have available. But if they do that, I certainly expect avocationally that they become the, the, the active citizens that they should be. So you can do well, but you better do good as well. That is, you can go out and make a good living, but avocationally you ought to be, be paying back to society um, something that that from the privileges that you've gained from being at Dartmouth College for four years for for, for that sen- in that sense,
0: yeah. And do you see a role for colleges, universities um, beyond the classroom setting in promoting good citizenship and responsible citizenship?
1: Well, again, if you look at most colleges and universities, you'll find it there someplace. Uh, and in our case, I think Rockefeller Center is is unique in that we bridge the curricular and co curricular. That we that, that that first year fellows flows from policy five, that, that 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 rocking you know all of the programs have some interconnectedness to them. That, that there's a reason why we do it in the curricular and the reason we do it in the co-curricular, and a lot of schools basically say, "Oh, we're we're going to let the dean of students office handle leadership, or we're going to let you know we're just we're going to let the faculty off the hook basically," and to me that's that's shirking responsibility on the faculty's behalf. That we, we work under the same mission statement that the, that the dean of the college works under. that the, fa- the College of Arts and Sciences meets has to meet that mission statement just as much as the dean of the college area does. And so I believe we have a responsibility for doing our part as well.
0: Finally, just my last question is, do you see areas of improvement in your own teaching style? And what are the next steps that you want to pursue in um, expanding how you're pursuing this sort of teaching style?
1: Sure. I mean, I've, I've been at it for 33 years. Uh, I, I can remember back to the first time I taught Introduction to Public Policy. Uh, I went into the classroom with 17 legal-sized pages of notes and was through those in 45 minutes and still had 15 minutes left of the class. So I've come a fairly long way. Um, at this point, after 33 years, I've taught about 4,500 students in either intro to American government classes or intro to public policy classes, including about 2,000 here at Dartmouth. Um, I think I'm pretty good at it. I think I, I figured it out by now so that I don't go in with 17 pages of notes. In fact, when I taught in Poland in Warsaw at the at the University of Warsaw, students were amazed that I could lecture for two hours without looking down at my notes. And and because i have been doing it that time, for almost 20 years. And, uh, I know what I want to say that all I need to, to prompt me is, is four or five phrases on a piece of paper. And I can do an hour and five minutes on those because I've done it enough to know what I need to do. And so it's, it's, it's an art and it's a craft. Uh, and I, I think I've developed my skills sufficiently after 33 years to do it pretty well.
0: Well, thank you so much again to Professor Shiko. I've really enjoyed our chat. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is a production of the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not of the Rockefeller Center. This episode was produced and edited by Laura Howard. We hope you will join us for our next episode, and if you want more information, you can find us at Rockefeller.Dartmouth.edu.